Listener Production. We've already had a referendum back in 67 and did f all for our rights. We are the voice. Listen to us here today. When it comes that time, vote no to a referendum. We don't want any voice. We are the voice. That was Dungati, Gumbanyagir and Bundjalung woman Lizzie Jarrett addressing an Invasion Day rally in Sydney last month. Yeah, she's talking about The Voice and, of course, we will be asked to vote in a referendum on The Voice to Parliament later this year. That will be a constitutionally enshrined body that will advise government on Indigenous affairs. But as you heard there, there are some Indigenous Australians that don't want The Voice to Parliament. And this includes former Green Senator Lydia Thorpe, who quit her party over the issue. Greens MPs, members and supporters have told me they want to support The Voice. This is at odds with the community of activists who are saying treaty before voice. So on today's briefing, why there is a growing chorus of First Nations people opposing The Voice. My positionality is not not supporting The Voice to Parliament. Mm. It's not supporting the process. And I think that really needs to be made clear. As First Nations people, we have a history of distrust with the government. We continually have broken promises that are put forward. That's our briefing coming up in the second half of the episode. First, today's headlines. It is Thursday, the 23rd of February. So it is official. Our wages are going backwards at a record rate. Uh, We know this because new wage data came out yesterday. So over the last year, wages, I know I just said they're going backwards, they actually went up 3.3%, which is the biggest increase in a decade, but, massive but, because inflation is at 7.8%, that means our purchasing power, so what we can buy with our wages, um, what's called a real wage, is actually going backwards 4.5%, the biggest Mm. hit since records began over 20 years ago. That doesn't make me feel very good at all. Going backwards 4.5%, that is, mm. that's terrible. So yeah, we're nowhere near keeping up with the rising prices, which means in real terms, we have less money in our pockets. And it just shows how strange these times are, Jam, because the, the solution to deal with that is to put up our interest rates so we have even less money. The only good news is that that 3.3% uptick in wages was less than the RBA expected, which is somewhat good news in terms of inflation because part of their strategy with these aggressive rate increases is to stop wage expectations going up and up and up and putting more money in our pockets, driving inflation further. So the fact that wages have come in a little bit lower than they expected might mean less interest rate rises. I just think of, you know, workers who've been campaigning for higher wages for a decade, if not mm. more, seeing their wages increase incrementally only for inflation to overtake those wages significantly that it's like they, you know, are actually earning less yeah, in, it's- in real terms. It's it's a real bummer, man. And I heard the head of the ACTU, that's the Australian Council mm. of Trade Unions, saying that uh, one in four workers are skipping meals. That's mm. the information that she had. That's not a good vibe. No. And Australian authorities have ordered more tech companies to disclose how they're tackling online child sexual abuse. So the eSafety Commissioner has served legal notices to Twitter, TikTok, Google, Discord and Twitch. Um, It follows similar notices sent to Microsoft, Apple and Meta last year. And they've got 35 days to respond 
um, with what they're doing to tackle online child sexual abuse or face big fines up to $5 million a week. This stuff always sounds better than what it ends up being in reality. So, for example, Microsoft, massive tech company, obviously, they've got this tool called Photo DNA, which they touted as the tool that they're going to use to detect and remove material about child abuse or sexualized material, but they don't use it on really massive services like OneDrive. They don't use it on Skype. Um, Apple, for example, they're not scanning iCloud which is massive around the world. You know, there's millions and millions, if not billions of people connected to iCloud. It sounds good, but if the tech companies don't comply or they comply in these really sort of limited, weird ways, then you're really not getting the correct information at all. And a second artist has pulled out of Blues Fest because they don't want to be on a lineup with the controversial band Sticky Fingers. So the first one was King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. And now Sampa the Great has pulled out of the festival. And the festival's promoter, Peter Noble, has issued another statement explaining why he's standing by Sticky Fingers despite the past controversies. Some of them five, six, seven years ago. He says forgiveness and moving on is key, especially for someone like Dylan Frost, the lead singer, who's been open about his mental health struggles. Yeah, it's hard to know how the next few weeks and or months will unfold for Blues Fest because it's not until April. And I wonder if more um, bands will pull out, mm. even if they are the smaller bands on the bill. I mean, Blues Fest has some really big names mm. um, coming this year, but even if you're a smaller band, you can still make a big splash um, if, in fact, you decide to pull out. So if it continues, you know, being in the press, it might also encourage other bands to pull out might have a bit of a snowball effect. Mm. I don't know. I'm speculating a little bit, but it's possible. Look, personally, my my opinion is that Peter Noble's done the right thing here, um, that we do have to forgive people. Um, if not, we write people off forever because mistakes they made five, six, seven years ago. But he will be tested if there's a whole avalanche of, of other bands wanting to pull out. I, I don't think there will be. I think it might just be these two, but it could be wrong and then it will get really awkward. Well, tonight, the Yes campaign for the Voice to Parliament will officially be launched in Adelaide. Um, The First Nations organisation from the heart is the one that's going to be leading the group that's advocating for a voice. It's been a long time coming, but now we're having a conversation at the beginning of a conversation with the whole Australian nation. That was filmmaker and ambassador Rachel Perkins there. So the campaign is going to involve things like community events and kitchen table talks. Yeah, it's great to see the Yes campaign get going because it was Peter Dutton who was raising concerns about The Voice who got out first this year. He, he published his open letter in the News Corp papers in the first week of January criticising the whole thing. Um, so finally, the Yes campaign is getting started. It's good timing because we're actually having our own sort of kitchen table talks here at the briefing over the next few episodes. And today we're starting um, with a really interesting convo with an Indigenous woman less than convinced about The Voice so far. We are joined now by lawyer and Bundjalung woman Vanessa Turnbull-Roberts. She is a First Nations activist and, well, she's not convinced that The Voice is the best way forward for Aboriginal people in Australia. Vanessa, thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. Um, You've written about being forcibly 
removed from your family and put into care. You've been an activist around these issues for years now. Before we get into talking about the voice to parliament, just tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how that's shaped you. I'm a proud Bundjalung Wajibal Waiwa woman. Uh, my family come from the north coast of New South Wales. At the age of 10 and a half, I was forcibly removed. During my time in out-of-home care, I went to over six different foster facilities, care places where I was pretty much denied my voice as a young person. This is quite common for many people that go through the family policing system. It's quite often that your voice will be silenced and it'll be the voices of caseworkers, it'll be the voices of judges, it'll be the voices of adults within this conversation. You're just a child within this space that actually doesn't have a say at all about well, where do you feel safe? Where would you like to be? And would you like to be returned back to your family, community and home? It's quite an easy question that should be asked, um, but it's one that we do not have the right to with having our voice shared. At the age of 18, I was determined to understand this system. Where I am today, when I hit 18, I decided I need to do everything I can to understand um, this legal system, this family policing system, and try and understand a little bit more about why was I removed and, and and where is the injustice within this. And so that drove me to wanting to undertake a law and social work degree. Growing up in my community, we were quite disproportionately impacted by the legal system and the law itself. Our family and our community members, we attended more funerals than we attended celebrations. We saw more grief than we see more joy. I always thought every single birthday when I was in um, the family policing system, I always thought, yeah, maybe I get to come home this year. Maybe I get to come home at, at 14, maybe at 15, maybe at 16, maybe at 17. And then I realised I'm 18. Well, it also turns out at 18, because there's no longer commercial interest in your body as a First Nations child being in the family policing system, nobody really cares where you end up. But I took it upon myself to run away from this system and ran back to my community up in Bundjalung country. Because as as young fellas and as, as young particularly as a young Koori girl, for me, it was so important for me to go back to land. Mm -hmm. Because when I was in those foster homes, when I was scared, when I was terrified and my voice was continually silenced, I had one thing that could never, ever be taken from me and that system could never, ever understand. And that was my connection to country and that was my connection to land. And it's something that I, I quite often find non-Indigenous people find hard to fathom mm. and it's why the family policing system finds it really difficult um, to understand when we talk about the importance of country and what it means and we constantly say we need to bring them home. We need to bring our children home. You've got an incredible backstory and um, you've, I guess this is one of the reasons why you've perhaps become such an advocate, such a strong advocate for Indigenous children and Indigenous issues. And you've used that voice to talk on a number of things. And one of those things that you're using your voice to talk about is the voice to Parliament. You've written a piece saying that you don't support it. Why? My positionality is not not supporting the voice to Parliament. Mm. It's not supporting the process. Um, and I think that really needs to be made clear. As First Nations people, we have a history of distrust with the government. We continually have broken promises that are put forward. We just heard uh, Mr Anthony Albanese share yesterday that the voice is purely consultation and purely advisory. We've had that. We've gone through this rhetoric. We have two fundamental reports, Aboriginal Deaths in Custody and the National Bring Him Home Report. These two reports outline the significant issues intersecting with 
right to land and right to healing, two significant issues that we as First Nations people have been demanding be looked at, implemented, and allowed the recommendations for our people. And these recommendations potentially can save lives. It's like telling people to sign a contract but read the terms and conditions after. Yeah. And we need to say, what does it mean to have a voice? What does it mean to be a part of the process? And instead of having uh, particular individuals and people participate in working referendum groups, work with our traditional country groups, work with our nation groups, do the work on the ground, not within the walls of parliament. Yeah, so the voice came about from uh, the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which was, I guess, a culmination of Indigenous leaders meeting over a long period of time and determining that this is the way forward. So when you say that people haven't gotten together and talked about Indigenous recognition in the Constitution, I guess my question is, didn't they do just that when they came up with the Statement from the Heart? The Statement from the Heart and the process of uh, meeting in Ulara. It was quite a a low-key one. Um, It it happened about five years ago and Mm. it didn't actually include all participants and representation of First Nations people. I actually remember I was in my probably my third or fourth year of uh, law school and I remember when the statement came out and I remember when we all had this real sense of fresh air. We thought, wow like our heart's proper beating right now and it feels good to have a really strong representation and to hear, you know, our voices are going to be heard. And then as time went on and as critical reflection occurred and as I spoke to many of my legal colleagues within the space and people on the ground and elders and community, I started forming the position that we've always had a voice but we've been silenced. Mm. And as much as it's really great and it might feel really good, you know, that sense of, yes, we finally have a moment, we don't need any more moments as First Nations people. We need actual movements that are going to fulfil and allow our communities to flourish and be self-determined. We are dying at some of the highest rate, disproportionate rates in the world. They aren't necessarily hiding the way we are dying either. We have children being stolen, family policing systems going into our families' homes, identifying these false allegations of what it means to have a risk, taking our babies into cell rooms and saying they don't have a community or a kinship system. And I believe that if this Labor government wants to truly give a voice to First Nations people, then process and due diligence must come first. There should be a discussion. I guess it's a question of what would it take? How much detail do you want? Peter Dutton, you know, started the year by firing off this open letter and he called for 15 points of detail. Is that along the lines of what what you need to understand, the sort of points he made? Or are you after a, a lower level of detail or more detail? What would it take for you to be satisfied that this is the right way forward? I believe full detail is always important. And I believe sharing, okay, well, let's say the voice is successful and we've moved forward. Yep, yes, referendum's gotten up. What next? Mm. Well, the issue is we have over 250 First Nations clans groups and cultural law systems that exist within our communities. So what does it mean to have that representation in the parliament? And what does it mean to just be an advisory group? I'm on advisory committees. I'm on many advisory committees. But it still doesn't mean I have the power to change what the overall outcome is going to be because the people who have the power are the people who hold that power. And in this case, our parliament holds power, but we're just an advisory. An advisory does nothing without substantial power. 
There was a recent poll that showed that 80% of First Nations people support a voice to parliament. Also a poll that showed that support among the general public has sort of waned a little bit as, um, I guess, divisions come to light, right? So my, my question is, are you concerned that maybe a campaign against the voice or a campaign to vote no in the referendum actually goes against what the majority of First Nations people want? That's, that's a really good pick up. But I think the really important thing to to think about is not all First Nations people have the privilege and accessibility to doing those online polls. Mm. So that's a privilege to be able to click yes, yes. Where's the credibility of these polls? How were they undertaking an identity process, I should say, to ensure that these people are First Nations and they are actually voting yes. So you don't trust how the do we? Well, I, I don't necessarily know how credible it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, you know, po- po- there's always questions around polling. This particular poll that I'm referring to was um, from Ipsos, which is sort of a, a global market research poll. They do a lot of the political polling in uh, on, on various They're issues. I, I just want to say, like, Pat Anderson, for example, who obviously is a, is a very big proponent of The Voice, you know, she said that she would encourage Australians not to be swayed by the noisy few. Are you guys the noisy few in this debate? I have the utmost respect and, and, and love for Ali Pat Anderson. I, I think she's an extraordinary human being with an extraordinary story and her position is is authentic and, 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 and is really about truth-telling. Mm. I believe that Ali Pat would be critiquing the racist responses and the fear that white Australia can commonly have when they can see a a group of, of people coming together and I guess, you know, First Nations people are in the political discourse right now and I believe for, for some particularly white races that can put them into a bit of fragility and a bit of fear because it's a front conscious reminder of like you're on stolen land and there's a critical discourse happening right now and First Nations people are at the front of that and you have to face it. We've been silenced through a process and we've been silenced from the very start of it as well. It's really important to have our mob have a different perspective and it's really important that we are given that opportunity and it's really important that we don't just rush something because it feels good because, you know, what doesn't feel good as, as Blackfellas Nation, it doesn't feel good to be arrested and, and taken to prison because you appear intoxicated. It doesn't feel good to mm. grow up in your family home and have the, a family policing regime come and take you. It doesn't feel good to see this Labor government consistently advocate for First Nations people and justice but then be okay with approving gas mines and, and climate injustice. That doesn't feel okay. They're not the kind gestures. And that's what we face every single day. That was lawyer and Bundjalung woman Vanessa Turnbull-Roberts speaking there. Yeah, interesting conversation. Personally, I'm in the yes camp, but I did find my views challenged a little bit in that part of the interview where she talked about the Uluru statement and she said at the time her heart was beating, that it was a really powerful moment. But as time has gone on, she's got a more clear-eyed and critical view on The Voice. I found it a very inspiring moment as well because it was a really hard-fought consensus and it created a lot of hope that there, there would be a united and meaningful way forward through these complex issues. The challenge with the Yes campaign is that they're relying too much potentially on, on those feelings from that moment, which is a problem because not everyone was really tapped into what was going on at the time. It's five years ago now and the challenge really is to explain the value of the voice here in 2023, not how it felt in 2017. 
I think if there's one thing that I took away from that chat and just, you know, have taken away from recent weeks listening to the news and commentary on The Voice is that First Nations Australians are not a homogenous group of people. Of course, there's going to be a diversity of opinion. Not everybody thinks the same. I think the more voices that we have coming to the forefront ahead of the referendum, in some cases, the better, makes for a more robust conversation. The danger is that it can muddy the water and cause confusion. So we've got a few months ahead of us before we have to vote on the issue anyway. Tomorrow on The Briefing, part two of our conversation about The Voice, we speak to another young Indigenous lawyer, an amazing woman, with a very different point of view.